Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Exploring Cybersecurity, the podcast where we deep dive into all aspects of cybersecurity news and trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Ventura, field CISO here at ThreadX. And today marks episode two of this podcast series. And I'm super, super excited to be joined by two amazing cyber professionals today. But before we meet our guests, just a couple housekeeping items. Uh, we are currently live on LinkedIn and YouTube, but don't worry. If you aren't able to join us, this episode and all episodes of Exploring Cybersecurity are available on all streaming services such as Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon. Now, let's get into today's show. When I put together this agenda for today and the different topics uh, with my guests, we really felt that it was relevant to the world that we live in today, but also what we're seeing here in the last three to six months in trends. Attackers and how they think and operate are always ahead of the curve. Organizations are starting to fall behind when it comes to different cybersecurity incidents and attacks. And so today, when we focus on how do attackers think and how do they operate, it's really important to understand that mindset. What are those tactics? What are those techniques? What are those procedures that they do? In addition to that, we're also gonna deep dive into the benefits and challenges of red teaming, blue teaming, and purple teaming. And lastly, I know this is a hot topic on everyone's mind, but we wanna discuss the world of artificial intelligence, especially generative AI, with different things that we've seen come out recently in the news, such as ChatGPT or even Google Bard. And what effects does it have on cybersecurity for attackers, but also defenders? So without further ado, let's first meet our guests. The first person I want to introduce is a good friend of mine, and we actually got to speak at a conference about a month ago. And I got to watch her presentation and was instantly amazed about just her presence and her experience that she gives to the entire community. I want to introduce Meryl Vernon. Hey, Meryl. Thank you. you <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jeremy? It's good to see you again. Nice to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us. Just a quick little background on Meryl. Meryl is a complete badass when it comes to the cybersecurity <laughs> industry. I know Meryl, actually, and I'll get into a little bit uh, and let her get into it. Meryl has a really interesting, unique background of how she actually joined uh, this industry of cybersecurity from her previous backgrounds and everything she's done. And Merrill has had super, super success when it comes to navigating this industry um, and also climbing up the ladder as well. Merrill, you can also see, is also the co-founder and co-host of the Cyber Queens podcast, which if anyone listening to this one, definitely go check out her podcast as well as it's super, super informative and awesome. Merrill also serves as the COO of Teach Kids Tech, a nonprofit organization with a goal of helping uh, under community and privileged children uh, when it comes to getting into the world of technology and cybersecurity. But Meryl is also known as the one woman purple team ethical <laughs> hacker, who's a senior app security architect uh, at Acquia Security. Meryl, you want to give a little bit more background on that? Because I think understanding kind of your background and how you got in this industry is super, super exciting for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for those of you who don't know my story, so I actually came from being a social media marketing manager uh, for a large hospitality brand. And then one day I just woke up and decided I was going to try. I was no longer being challenged. And I wanted to try something that was innovative and always different every day. And the bar was constantly being raised and cyber met all those things. So uh, I just started trying cybersecurity things, started working off in risk uh, about four months into that, got my first certification, got my, uh, talked my way into a pen testing role. And um, for those of you who don't know my journey, I always talk myself into jobs I don't actually have the experience for. So when I started working in cyber, I didn't have cyber skills. When I started pen testing, I didn't have pen testing skills. Um, and then I went on to higher echelons of red teaming. And uh, now I do pioneer enter enterprise purple team programs in, in addition to the other stuff that I do. <laughs> 
That is awesome. That's great. And I think you're an inspiration uh, for a lot of people trying to either break into cybersecurity or even grow their own careers in cybersecurity. So we're going to deep dive a little bit more into kind of your background expertise, um, especially when it comes to uh, purple teaming, red and blue teaming. So can't wait. Merrill's not also alone, though. I've also included another guest, which is another great friend of mine, Mr. Jay Martang. Hey, Jay. How's it going, man? Jeremy, good to see you again. Hey, Merrill. You as well. Hey, Jay. <laughs> Now, I've known Jay for, Jay, it's been probably, what, about seven years where uh, we've had some mutual connections and uh, good friends in the industry. And Jay and I live probably about 20 minutes away from each other. So uh, we frequently see each other at local cybersecurity <laughs> events and conferences. And I will be honest, and I know I told Jay I wasn't going to say this, but people do get a little bit confused because we are the same height. And so a lot of times uh, people think we're twins or confuse each other for one another. But um, Jay is also a powerhouse when it comes to cybersecurity. Jay has spent numerous, numerous of years working uh, at RSA. Uh, then Jay went to CyberArk, Denity Access Management, Public Access Management. And now Jay is actually the director of North and South America Sales Engineering at Pentera. Jay, good background about yourself. <laughs> you flatter me, man. Yeah. So um, been in the, I would say, the consulting realm for about 13 years. Uh, and what's unique about that is seeing all the different types of environments uh, across industry verticals and across different geographies. Uh, spent some time in the Mid-Atlantic area. I try and curb my accent, but you might hear it. I'm born and raised in, in, in New York, right? Uh, and now I'm spending time out here on the West Coast. And uh, everyone does things differently. Uh, depending on the industry verticals, everyone has uh, different challenges and different information that they're trying to protect. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to be secure. And that's the common denominator. And I think we'll get into a lot of those topics here as we talk about our different experiences from either what we've seen and from different mindsets, right? Both attack and defend. So, Absolutely. You know, and that's great. That's great that you brought that up. I, I know uh, we were joking a little bit in some of our, our prep calls, but when I'm always thinking about who I'm going to include on, this, on these guest podcasts and also for topics... Instantly, when I thought about what I want to cover today around attacker's mindset and red, blue, purple teaming, I instantly thought of the both of you. And I thought both of your energy and both of your background, Jay, to your point, is going to make for a great episode here. Um, so without further ado, if there are any questions or comments, uh, please put them in LinkedIn. We do have moderators that are moderating this and chatting. So we will be able to see and answer live questions as we progress through uh, this podcast as well. Um, but anyway, I want to first start. It's been a busy, busy last couple of months. I know personally for me, and I know for the both of you as well. And I think one of the common denominators is all three of us were actually at the RSA conference in San Francisco um, just a little less than a month ago. And I know personally yep. for me, it was great to be back. Um, it definitely felt like the energy was there. There were a lot of people in attendance. Um, but I want to get into your personal experiences and kind of any trends and topics that you saw, whether that was maybe from keynote speaking engagements or whether that was uh, different security vendors and their messaging. So, Meryl, I'm going to actually start with you. Um, how was your RSA and, you know, what was your take on it and good, bad? And were there any trends that you saw? Um, my RSA was really informative. It was my first one. Um, and, you know, typically I attend, you know, more hacker centric conferences. So like the big ones like Black Hat, DEF CON and some of the smaller, more intimate ones. Um, so it was my first time really plunging myself into the world of like cyber marketing and cyber sales. And, uh, you know, coming from a marketing background, I was like, I am so interested to see how these two worlds blend together. Uh, and I got to say, um, you know, they, they do a lot of the things that I'm used to seeing a, a lot of the, I'll say gimmicky things like big flashy colors and displays and the overhead signs and stuff like that. And uh, I saw a lot of terms I didn't understand, like pre-zero and sub-zero and like 
like compliance and things like that. And um, I heard someone say miter compliant, which isn't a thing. And, you know, as so I was just like, oh, gosh, do these people even know how they're coming off to actual practitioners that like, that's like silly speak to me that tells me you have no idea what you're talking about. And like, you know, real time monitoring and 24 by seven and real time alerts. I'm like, how real time though, like checks in once daily checks in once every hour, like, you know, is anything really real time and like certain solutions I would ask about, I'd be like, Oh, so is that just like an agent? Or is that, you know, how are you different? I would ask how you're different. And I would ask who their competitors are. And a lot of times people really couldn't tell me there were a few people who had a really good answer. Um, but some, sometimes people really couldn't answer that question very easily. So uh, I, I definitely gained a lot of insights. But um, the number one trend I did see was like EDR on the expo floor, EDR, and um, AI driven things, you know, AI driven this, AI driven that. And, um, but the theme I thought was really special. The theme was stronger together, um, which was the same thing as uh, uniting women in cyber last year. And I thought that was really special because I think we've had a mindset shift as an entire industry where we're agreeing that more diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of approach, diversity um, is really gonna help drive cyber forward. Uh, so that was just really lovely to see implemented across talks and subject matter and speakers and, um, and on the expo floor as well. Absolutely. No, that, that's that's great insight. And I think um, the one thing that I want to take away from what you just said, too, where it seems like you had a great conference, but there's some skepticism, right? Sometimes what I think sometimes the vendors, they start to blend in together. I think there were, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the exact amount, but I'm pretty sure there was like 1500 to 2000 different security vendors that potentially had a presence at the show. And after a while, when you're walking that trade show, things start to get pretty confusing. Right. The messaging starts to sound the same. The colors start looking the same. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. But I do think one of the key things you brought up there was stronger together. And I think that that's really important as we look even for the future of cybersecurity. And we'll get into a little bit some of those topics like AI and why we need to be stronger together as a total cybersecurity industry. Um, but no, awesome, Meryl. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the insight. Jay, I'm going to go to you, man. How was uh, how was your RSA? I know you were I, we met up real quick for about five minutes. But I know you were always back and forth to meeting to meeting. So how was your RSA? And, you know, were there any trends that you saw? It was great. It's always sensory overload, even from the vendor perspective, right? It's sensory overload. And it's always interesting to see what everyone is doing. And it's always like a reunion, right? I'm running into you. I'm running to folks across the board. Um, I think it was really good to see everybody back. I mean, the large crowds um, can be a little draining on the social battery, right? But it's, it's, it's good to see, again, talking about better together. Definitely, even from an international perspective, it was nice to see everyone coming by, um, and everyone has this, a similar concern, right? Trying to be secure. Well, we're, we're here, we're there, and everyone's on a, on a journey, but where they are in that journey really depends, and it's always different, and it was definitely reiterated uh, this year. So it was nice to see everyone back and, and see a lot of the international friends. Um, but yeah, it was very, very busy, but busy is not bad. Busy is very good. It means we're all trying to step up our game. Exactly. So. No, and I, I'll kind of highlight what your point too. I know when I was... Uh, uh, you know, working the booth and giving a couple uh, live presentations uh, at the ThreadX booth, uh, I did notice there was a lot of international presence from Dubai, South Korea, um, Finland, Sweden, uh, Germany. And I think that's, you know, that stronger together theme, not that we were planning on keeping this theme in, the, in this podcast, but, you know, it, it's interesting that you brought that up, Marilyn, how we're, we're continuing to talk about it, because it's not just stronger together here in the United States or just the security vendors, right? It's a total partnership between uh, the private sector and the public sector and our international partners as well, especially when we're, you know, going and facing off against uh, attackers that are smart, 
they're hungry, they've got the time, and a lot of them have the resources to attack organizations and cause chaos. And so that, that Stronger Together theme, I, I think, is super, super important. But again, I will say this, without this, taking the skepticism out of the way, it's easier said than done, but we need to put the plans and we need to actually take action from an industry to make sure that we're actually doing that. I think diversity is a part of resiliency. You know, you, you can't have resiliency if you're doing just one thing really, really well, right? Like we often say like certain verticals in cyber are experts in like a mile wide breadth of things, but only like an inch deep. Well, that diversity, like that exposure, like that expertise is what gives us an aspect of resiliency. Like being really, really good at one thing and one thing only is never going to be the answer to anything in cyber. I, I think that's actually a great segue into the first topic. Um, and Jay, I'm actually going to start with you here. So uh, when we put these topics together, we, we want to keep some of the different themes, but we want to keep this kind of, Meryl said in her LinkedIn post, we want to keep it a little spicy. And I think the reason why we, we want to do this is because I think a lot of times, I know personally for me, as I'm scrolling through my LinkedIn page or I'm listening to other podcasts, reading articles, a lot of times we're getting, you know, one-sided answers, right? One-sided answers and everybody agrees with each other. And I think, you know, as we go through this, I want to make sure that everyone's voicing their opinion. That's the point of this podcast. But at the same time, right, these topics are sometimes a little controversial as well because there are different perspectives and there's are different mindsets and different backgrounds we all have. Um, so the first topic is really around the attacker's mindset. So I, I know Jay describes it as, um, I won't speak it for you, Jay, but I know you describe it as, you know, thinking a little bit more like the attacker and a little bit sometimes less as the defender. But Jay, I know you've got hands-on experience um, working for a lot of the security vendors that you have in your past and working with uh, as a consultant with different clients around the world. You know, what is attacker's mindset to you, especially as the evolution of cybersecurity threats are ever increasing? What does that actually mean to you? Yeah, to, to me, it's just thinking, it's having a paradigm shift and moving away from thinking in, in lists and thinking like the attacker, meaning a step-by-step -step or graphs and vectors of what an attacker is going to do to ultimately act on objectives. It's not just one thing here or one thing there. It's a series of steps. And when you take that into consideration, you also have to take into consideration what are the attackers really after? Are they after something that's unique to your line of business or your industry? Um, or are they just looking to sow discord or, or you know, are they script kiddies, right? I mean, you mentioned something a little bit earlier. A lot of times they have the funding and the backing, which is true. When we talk about nation states, that's absolutely true, but they're not all nation states either, right? I mean, what if, you know, just someone just like, ah, I don't like what you said and I'm going to just deface your website or, or whichever we see, we, you know, we still see some of that also. Um, so Activate. the attacker's mindset is really, yeah, having an understanding of what, what could be, what's important to you, but what's important to them and what's important to your customers and the people you do business with, because you could be part of a supply chain and something that you think is critical to your business while it, it is. You need to understand what's critical to your partners as well, because anything is, yeah. is, is at the, it could be up for grabs. Meryl, do you agree with that? Or do you have a different perspective when it comes to attacker's mindset? No, I would agree. In fact, most of the educating I do when we start purple teaming is um, I start telling them, you know, I'm not just going to do this thing. Like I guess I tell them these are the steps I'm going to attempt to execute and why I'm focusing here and why I'm trying this thing is because I'm hoping it will get me this piece to get me here. But if not, and I get this piece, then I can go here to here. Like, like, so I tell them my motivations for seeking different things and why I'm trying certain syntax first, certain utilities first, because they're easier. They're, you know, straight, straightforward, low hanging fruit. Okay. That didn't work. We'll get a little more creative. Okay. That didn't work. I'll get a little more creative, you know, and I start showing them how we physically go about like 
I've got essentially a, a like a, a black box. I have no idea what I'm dealing with. What am I going to do to poke around in there and figure out what I've got to work with? So I think that's a, a, a component of it. And another one is, you know, from a threat modeling perspective, like let's not just take the things that we know adversaries do or have done. Let's take it from like, and our inventory uh, perspective, right? Like let's take the systems that are most vulnerable or the systems that are most critical and ask what ourselves what that's vulnerable to, not just what the adversary would do. Like let's cut them off in as many avenues as possible. Yeah, do you think, you, you mentioned something right there and I lo love both your perspectives on it. Um, do you think when it says, like Mary, you just mentioned like taking what's most valuable to that organization, right? Those assets or the inventory or whatever those critical components are. How often are the both of you, uh, I'll let, uh, Jay, I'll let you start, um, how difficult is it actually for organizations to understand what their critical assets? We hear visibility, right? <laughs> I, I, this could probably be in our podcast in itself, but visibility, even the world we live in of API and applications, even previous companies I worked for, we always started with visibility and we would sometimes get stuck with organizations because they have no sense of visibility because things are moving, things are changing. So Jay, how much, vis how much does visibility uh, and that obviously leads to prioritization and doing other stuff really matter for organizations. I think visibility is 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 critical. Uh, I think I want to also go back to what you were saying, like uh, visibility or an understanding of of what's critical in the assets themselves. And I, and I see the gamut. Sometimes, yes, uh, naturally we we know. Sometimes it's it's not well known. Um, and and sometimes, right, the 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 critical piece of I don't want to say the infrastructure or of the organization it's the identity as well like because it's not just what the critical pieces are but who has access to that so you see it's spiral it's this web uh, uh and that's why it's so complex i mean you know this this industry is a tough industry to be in um and that's why thinking of it from a different lens can really show a different perspective but i think that visibility and and doing and and, and running different types of exercises will give that perspective and and illuminate something that we, ne we never we didn't even have visibility to before. And that visibility is a term of, I think, having an understanding of what's important or what could happen, that what if scenario. I mean, security is like a paranoia game. Like, what if this? What if that? I don't know. Let's run a- Everything's a crit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <all> like, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but, and then trying to prioritize. Like, I think when we start running these exercises and then we can start actually seeing and getting tangible evidence of what that risk is and what that impact is, the blast radius, that is where we start really making strides. Yeah, Meryl, I, I kind of want to turn it over to you because I know obviously you have an extensive background kind of <laughs> side as well. The face pump. <laughs> I cannot even tell you how many people have no idea what their critical assets are or their critical business functions. Um, one time I worked for an uh, insurance company and I ran a little exercise with, with people from multiple departments who, who like, you know, BSOs and things like that and managers. And I was like, who here thinks if the company like went down tomorrow, if we got ransomware or DOS or whatever, who thinks that their department is the most critical function in this company that we should get that back up first? And like six people be raising their hands. Cybersecurity raised their hand, my department raised their hand, you know, lots of people raising their hands and I'm like, false. At the end of this day, this company needs to pay claims. The only department we are focused getting back up online is the claims processing department. That's it, claims, not you in finance, not you in audit, not you cyber getting claims back up and going. That's the critical function of this company. That is where dollars go in and out of the door. Um, and they were all like, uh, and in addition to that, I work with a number of companies that I'll be like, you know, what are, so what are your most critical assets? Where are your most, you know? And they're like, yeah, we don't know. They kind of have this, like, we would secure our data if we knew where it was mindset. And I'm like, oh, good God. Okay, we're gonna start with the CIS for six and start there and then graduate to things like pen testing because you're not ready. Um, so, <laughs> 
I, I think I just is, think yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I, I I've seen the gamuts kind of like you. Um, and I, I guess I think it's just a matter of I think we have to run an assessment. It, again, it's all risk, right? So if we don't know what that is, well, maybe that's the first step. Run a risk assessment. What you know? What's where are we making our money? Where what are the dollars tied to? And if that were to go down, would it be spell certain doom? All right, maybe let you know. Let's start there and let's just let's build from that. Um, I can't I can't agree with that enough because I even tell red teams I work on or with I'm like you know you as red teamers like you need to tie it to business risk you need to give the business an understanding of why your work is important and if you can't tie it to risk which you can tie to dollars which you can tie to things like due diligence and compliance and operative negligence and cybersecurity insurance and things like that then like you have no value like you don't have enough value so um, I think rapid risk assessments are a great place to start and I think risk should be incorporated to multiple red team assessments. Yeah, I think it's challenging as teams grow, people come and go, organizations get bigger and bigger, and you f- you fall into a niche. It's easy to have an, a narrow sense of view. Is, hey, this is my job. This is my mandate. But overall, we have to, I think, not only security professionals, but just whichever organization we're looking for, what is our mission as a business? What's our mission? And then how do we also, tie our roles to that mission? Yes. Also, Jay, do you find that a lot of companies or orgs you work for who do know their critical infrastructure won't let you red team it because they don't want it to be touched. <laughs> they, they, they cut your scope off right there, don't they? Oh, so that's, it's <laughs> funny because I run into, <laughs> I run into that with every conversation I, 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 I uh, walk into, but it's because I work in the automation space. So yeah, not only are our organizations afraid of the red team, but they're afraid of the automation that comes along with that, which is a whole separate conversation. But <laughs> I try and I try and t- I, look. I completely get that. I mean, we we here like the organization I work for. We we take strides and take a lot of pride in, in being safe when we do. But um, the attackers don't care, right? So I try and say, look, I completely get that. But we need to have a level of understanding that again, attackers' mindset, right? They're going to go after whatever, and they don't care if they bring something down. It, it is what it is. Um, so we should just have an understanding of what that is. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and these two topics really, and even then this next topic we're going to talk about, as I knew this was going to just naturally blend <laughs> into each other. Um, because when we think about attackers mindset, and then we start looking at, you know, what is red teaming? What is blue teaming? What is this concept of purple teaming as well? You know, Meryl, you and I were talking in, in the in the pr- show about this uh, in uh, the prep. I think a lot of people, when they first get into cybersecurity, they want to do red teaming, right? They want to pwn the boxes, right? They want to do the penetration checks. They want to find the vulnerabilities. They want to hack. And however, to your point, you made some great comments there uh, just in that earlier segment there about, you know, some of the, just the different struggles or proving the value of red teaming. Like, where do you start? And so for someone that's actually lived on that side, for an organization, regardless of industry, regardless of how small size, right? Let's say they're constrained with maybe budgeting or even resources. Where do you start? Do you go hire somebody externally, like a consulting firm? Do you try to bring someone internally? Um, how do you start? Million dollar how question. Do, how, do, how do they start with like their offensive security program? Yep, with red teaming, yep. Yeah, gosh. So that's that's gonna differ, you know, for every org, it's, it's gonna be tailored to, again, the, the objectives, the needs, the customers' needs, things like that. But um, I, I, I always advocate for a piecemeal approach, especially if you're budget constrained. You know, if you have a really small shop and there's one guy handling when the email goes down and also handling asset provisioning and also handling, you know, outages and stuff like that. Um, and he's gonna be the kind of, to call the MSP that you probably uh, contract out to, then I say use consultants. I say, you know, do lower echelons of 
preemptive activities first. Like don't necessarily go get a pen test because that might not be value added testing for you. They might just point out a bunch of things you could have known yourself had you done the vulnerability assessment, had you done a risk assessment, or had you started with a more uh, collaborative exercise like purple teaming. So I think purple teaming is a great place to start. It's a great place to start educating defenders on adversarial mindset and motivations. It's a great place to ed um, to cross educate pen testers on you know things you're already doing well, great places to look where more defense and depth could be used, where you can punctuate certain things and validate certain things and confirm things are working as intended, things like that. You can get a really good baseline um, baselining is a great place for organizations to start. Like, don't just spin up like DMZs and and certain like uh, role-based access control and things like that, and just hope that it's all going like according to plan. Like, we've never tested it, but we hope that it's stopping people from touching resources they shouldn't touch. Go test those things. Go put those things to the test and get a qualitative, realistic baseline of how well your defenses are standing up already. And then, because you do have very select budget. Um, identify the gaps and say, will this solution address our gaps? No, nope, that addresses things we've already got, multiple points of telemetry on, multiple points of data points, data sources, logs. Okay, we're good there. Okay, but you, you address five gaps that we have for this much money. Um, so you can start intelligently security spending. You can start addressing gaps, validating what you've got, um, driving security testing forward. We do hire a pen test company and say, we need you to validate this need. We're evaluating the solution. It'll stop this. How subject really are we to that? Is that a good budget dollar spent? Or say we onboarded the solution, tell us if it's working. And you know, so so then you can start working collaboratively back and forth. And really like that's the whole goal. You shouldn't just be facing each other off unless you're truly ready for clandestine style like adversarial emulation operations. Catch us if you can, but you actually stand a good chance at catching us if you can. Um, do the back and forth, do the collab, have the discussions riff off each other. I told people once, hey, did you know that the blue team, if they find a callback on one of these ports, they will immediately drop everything, investigate that callback and ignore everything else. And they're like, no way. So we started setting off decoy callbacks where we knew they would waste six hours investigating oh. them and then setting up real ones and like the really high port numbers and on protocols and processes we know they don't monitor. So, you know, it's like get a little bit better and they get a little bit better and then get a little bit better. But like we're punctuating a gap. You didn't take that far enough. You start ignoring everything else. That process is broken. Amend the process and make sure that your people are looking in the right places and you are automating as much as possible. Automate as much as possible is a great place for orbs to start too. Good God. Yeah, So. Absolutely. No, that, that's awesome. You, you brought up a lot of good points there. And there's one thing I want to pick out too. I know for a lot of our listeners, they probably have either been on the red teaming or the blue teaming side. And I think, you know, obviously with your background, Meryl, like purple teaming, is the concept of purple teaming and the collaboration about this and how do these teams work together it's super super important and I, there's a good there's a good, something i want to i want you to talk about in just a second about the uh the color wheel that i know you you've done before but yeah. before i do that keep that in the back of your in the back of your thought uh Got jay it. so red teaming so red teamers get in there let's say an organization is able to find the funding, find the resources, you start looking at your assets, you start doing whether it's vulnerability scans, pen testing, you start building a program. I think what we've seen in the industry though, a lot of people we talk to is now the blue teaming. The people that are defending against us, they've got to defend and respond and protect that organization on real life threats that are happening every single day in their organization. And now we just put a budget and a project in here and says, okay, now we're gonna do some red teaming and now they're inundated. How do they, like, what have you seen as far as either some of the challenges or, you know, some of the stories around how do blue teaming even keep up? Um, you know, blue teaming has their job of what they need to do. And a lot of times we see this where organizations start, you know, they start punching at them. And now it's like, and now these are the individuals that are working 80 hours a week, 
They're not getting sleep, right? They're getting stressed out at work. And this is a real thing. And so- Come on, poor Jay. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I'm going to ask- Too soon, soon. And then Meryl, I want you to, I want you to also put you back on this. But Jay, blue teaming. Uh, you know, mm. I- I, yeah, I feel for blue teamers. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, you know, spend some time on, on the, the subreddits and you can see everyone's everyone's burning out. Um, it's it's really tough. And I think I, I completely agree with what Meryl was saying. Right? I've seen I've seen different stages of where you're starting to red team and the blue team. The blue team is, is usually there to a degree. Blue team comes first, right, because you need to defend. Um, and what I've seen is, is, a, is a mix, right? A lot of times if it's... Um, third parties coming in or they're just doing their part they're just starting their offensive journey they're like okay we'll do it you know once in a while but the overall mindset where i'm seeing or a lot of organizations go they want to do it more proactively they want the that proactive approach to security and it is challenging for the blue team uh, because sometimes they're told sometimes they're not told i've been in situations where we're, we're running an engagement and then the blue teamer runs in and you could see that the the like the, the concern is, is do you guys see that this is happening? We're like, no, no, it's okay, and, and it's a relief. And I'm like, man, this is tough. It's a tough job, um, but I think overall, to, to Meryl's point, right? It's it's at least it's like, hey, you saw it. This is good, and and I I, I spend a lot of time making sure that you know red teaming exercises isn't like, ha, gotcha, gotcha here. It's 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 like, no, look. You know, we, there are some things that got through, maybe, but look at all this that you are doing well, and this has been validated. And validation is key because we know what's working well, and and it is. So kudos again to all the blue teamers out there. It is a joint effort, um, and I think as time goes on, this is going to increase, increase as again attacker, you know, attacks keep happening. We need to be more proactive. Um, and and while I've seen, I've, I've seen both sides where a lot of times the blue team is willing to to work. They understand this is kind of. This is where the, the the trend is going. I've seen pushback as well. And that just varies. That is a it's always a roll of the dice. I never know what I'm going to see and I walk into an organization. Are they are they playing nice? Are they not playing nice in the sandbox? Uh, Meryl, I'm sure you got stories too. I, I mean it's say, just Meryl, I know I some <laughs> great stories about this, yeah. but Meryl, I'm I'm gonna turn it right over to you because I think this is an awesome segue. Uh Jay, well said, right? From the blue teaming perspective and red teaming. And I think this kind of leaves red plus blue equals purple. So Meryl, with your background right here, I wanna talk a little bit just this natural progression of, okay, we got the red teaming now, we got the blue teaming. How does this work effectively in an organization, purple teaming? And so I know you're a master at this. And so I, I kind of want to get your perspective on, you know, just, just forever to level set, what actually is purple teaming from your perspective? And then mm -hmm. how, do I, how do I implement this in an organization? I know you've got some great stories about how you've seen success and also some failures as well when it comes to purple yeah. teaming. Mm -hmm. Nothing is 100% successful 100% of the time. That's just the way it is. Um, so purple teaming, you know, a lot of people think it's just like sitting red and blue teamers together and like, what do you guys do? Like, how does that helpful? Um, or they think it's just having a red teamer right along with the blue team during a red team engagement. Um, and those aren't technically incorrect, but they're not technically the best iteration of it either. Um, purple teaming is still being developed and is still being um, kind of written down. The book's being written as we go uh, by a lot of different people. So you, you can do it however you want to tailor it to your org. But for me, it's most effective when you do bring um, those red teaming assets together with members of various pieces of the blue team, and you might have those segregated out into, you know, CTI, detection engineering, um, the SOC analysts, BCP, incident response folks, it might be any number of those people or people 
in roles sharing more than one responsibility, wearing more than one hat. And really the, the purpose of bringing them together is to, you know, not say, ha ha we got you, like Jay said, got you real good. Like when the red team comes in to give their outbreak, they're like, we did a good job. And everyone's like, oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be crap. Uh, like they're gonna come in and essentially tell me how ugly my baby is, right? And like, that sucks. You never want that. Like, because someone might've inherited a system or they might be maintaining a legacy system for some unknown budget reason, or no one knows why it looks the way it looks today. But unfortunately the red team did get their objectives accomplished. They did do their job. By the way, I have almost had ops completely fail. We're like, we can't believe we didn't actually accomplish our goal. Good for them, but like, we're gonna look like we can't do our jobs. But it made us so happy at the same time. We love you blue teamers, we really do. Um, so purple teaming brings them together. And again, it's it's cross-education. It's letting them, It's first it's making me a human. So it's letting them see me fumble. It's letting them see that like, oh, we didn't just execute you flawlessly. It took like one push of a button and bam, we got root, like domain root access. No, it's seeing like, God, this didn't work. This didn't go off. Like that locked me down there. That, you know, so I had to, I had to amend things. I had to change the payload on the go. I had to spin up new phishing campaigns. I had to do a number of things in order to get my op to actually go off that you don't see behind the scenes. And that makes them feel better about themselves. Um, and you're educating them on adversarial motivation and mindset and like, what? not just why do we hack you? We hack you because we're an APT interested in you know, government agencies, whatever. But like, why do we go after a specific piece of information on a specific system in a specific place? How does that further our objectives? How does that get us to the next piece? If you can't block us here, can you block us here? And you start driving discussion with like, well, we can't alert on that. That's gonna like, that's gonna generate thousands of alerts a day. It's like, true. Lots of people use clipboard. That's probably not effective, but could you alert on people using clipboard from the command line, which your typical sales executive will not do? You know, things like that, things that are adversarial in nature that you might not think about in normal user behavior. Um, so you're, you're trying to threat intel yourself, right? And you get those discussions going and you watch them riff off each other and well, maybe we could alert on that and like this. And, and you know what, I couldn't do that, but if I saw this and I went in and I looked and then I saw the correlating IOCs around it, now I know that's how it looked in the exercise and you're educating them so that, they A, automate as much as possible. Because if you're not automating anything, like God help you, don't completely manually do anything. Automate as much low level pen testing and like detection engineering as you possibly freaking can so that your manual investigations and your manual tests and validations are as value added as possible and take as little of your people's time. Because like Jay said, they're burned out, they're inundated. They can't do all the things. Very, very um, often I hear people say, we can't sacrifice the resources for your exercise for two to three days because they're just too busy. And I get that. That's why I started learning to do it myself. I'm like, give me access to your platforms and your tools and everything that you're working with. And I will figure out an effective way to help your team. But for me, purple teaming just means moving the needle, even if it's five TTPs at a time, actively moving that needle a very little bit and putting ourselves better off tomorrow than we were today should someone attempt to attack us. And you do that the best when the red teamers talk to the blue teamers and there's no us versus them mentality. Everyone wants to secure the org. The same org cuts checks to all of us at the end of the day. We should all want to have a job tomorrow. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Uh, you almost, you kind of did the concept too. I was thinking it as you were talking, like crawl before <laughs> you walk before you run. But I, I yeah. mean, moving the needle, right? Like progress every single day, move that needle, start to collaborate because it does take time, right? I don't think organizations can just go tomorrow we're gonna do this, right? And no, but you know, you know what they do though? Oftentimes the first purple thing they'll ever do is, oh shit, we've got an incident. Get the red teamers in here. It's like, what do you want us to do? You want us to like break it better? Like, I mean, you know, like they can help look for certain IOCs in certain places, but I mean, that's when you've got the red teamers sitting with the defenders for the first time, trying to be friends for a mutual common goal. And it's like, why can't we just do this all the time yep. when there is no incident? No, absolutely. Jay, you know, there's one thing that Merle said in her stuff that I want to get your opinion on too, because you spend a lot of time on the, the security vendor side, like myself on the tooling side. 
Um, do you believe that there is a specific or are, are there perfect tools to help organizations by perfect? Are there tools that organizations can implement that can assist them when it comes to starting to get this collaboration, right? This idea of purple teaming or this idea of, you know, threat emulation or simulation, right? Is there something in your, in your head um, that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's funny. I was going to say, I don't think any tool is perfect, right? But, uh, you know, we pu pulled it back. I think it's the combination of tools, right? And tools are meant to, are, are meant to help augment. So it was great when Merrill was like automation. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that, of course, right? I'm biased. I work for an automation company that does that. But what I've seen is being able to now piecemeal these together so that the program itself are now working. You have a piece, piece, piece here, piece here, all part of a bigger picture. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's process and, and, and everything that surrounds that as well. So it's not just the tools. It's everything that goes along with that because tools are just tools, right? It's policy. It's how you, how you follow those policies. How have you implemented um, the, the, again, the, the, the procedures around that, all that needs to go together. And when it's, when it's jiving, it's great. And when it's not jiving, it's important to know what's, what is not and identifying it quickly. Um, because when you, in the low-hanging fruit, again, Meryl said a, a great point. I'm going to kind of you know, dovetail off of that. Any step in the right direction is still a step in the right direction. So if we can identify that sooner rather than later, we are still better off than we were yesterday and we're still moving forward. Forward progress is still progress, no matter that's a step or a jump or a leap. Um, we should just be striving day by day to get better. So those tools, when they work together and they when they play together, and and, and they complement each other, like the things again. If I'm if I'm doing X Y Z in my automation platform, I'm and I'm running attacks. Am I seeing that in the sim? Am I seeing you know? Am I challenging or am I am I matching uh, or using privilege accounts and is privilege account management working correctly? And all that stuff is all coming together. And then we have the stock responding and all that. That's when I'm like. It's, everything's working great. This is awesome, and I get really fired up. If you couldn't tell, so right, <laughs> right. The tool, the tools need to, your point. I mean, the tools assist, right? And I think the tools create higher efficiency and efficacy. Hopefully, but it's it's about how do I get that data? How do I get that pumping into other technologies to make? And to Merrill's point earlier, the stronger together again, right? Like, how do I get that into the right people's hands? And sometimes it's not even just. Before we get off this topic, it's not even just about the red team, the blue team, and the purple team. And Merle, I said I was going to ask you a question, <laughs> and I think this is kind of a perfect segue here. Um, you have, and I know you've talked about this in other podcasts, but uh, there are other teams out there as well, right? It's not just red, mm -hmm. blue, and purple. Um, do you want to give uh, kind of the audience uh, kind of the take on that, the color wheel? Uh, as, as yeah. You like to yeah, so I stuck to the purple label for so long because I literally was a pen tester teaching myself defensive and threat hunting capabilities in order to be self-sufficient when when enterprises didn't have the resources to lend to my program. But um, I've kind of moved away from that label a lot because I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of people coming to me in different verticals like developers and infrastructures of code and things like that, software, UX, UI. And they're like, how do I get on a purple team? I want to work on a purple team too. And I'm like, so you don't need to work on a proper purple team because you're not a red teamer nor are you really a defender you're a builder and the builders are referred to in the security color wheel as the yellow teamers so you know for your primary colors red blue and yellow they're builders right they're the architects they're um uh, policy driven they're they're actually coding things the developers are there and i'm like your function of collaborative security doesn't look the same as mine you don't need to sit in on my purple team exercise to do collaborative security if you want to work with the red teamers and understand how we hack code how we hack apis what we grep for like things that you might have forgotten things you might have overlooked things that make your job easier but they also make my job easier we're happy to educate you on those and again 
cross-education, changing your process, changing your habits based on the things that you learn about how someone would abuse them. If you want to work with the defenders on secure coding practices and input validation and sanitization and things like that and DAS testing and all that, then, you know, now you're working with the green team. Working with the red makes you an orange team. So there are different functions of collaborative security out there, but I don't even want to segregate it by those anymore. Like, I don't want to tell someone you can't participate in this because you're a builder. You can't participate in this because you're a red teamer. I say anybody can start doing collaborative security at any time because when you combine all the colors from a light spectrum perspective, you get white. White is the combination of all the colors. And I'm like, at any point, let's just start white teaming. Let's just get all these people on a collaborative call. Collaborative calls are some of the best um, ancillary benefits that come out of purple teaming because you just get people in a conversation who wouldn't normally talk to each other. You get developers and, and software engineers talking to a red teamer and talking to a detection engineer at the same time. And they're always talking about what they're working on and how it's going and things they're encountering. And, and then they start talking to each other about how their internal customers for each other's work and they're gonna collaborate on things. And I'm like, this is freaking beautiful. This is DevSecOps working basically. Um, so I just think that, you know, if you're not on a purple team, don't feel bad. Um, and if you want to start doing collaborative security, just reach out to the members across your org and start doing it at any time. That's awesome. No, that's great advice. And I mean, I love that concept too, because I think sometimes we put labels on things and right. The whole concept of this is collaboration, right? Reaching across yeah. the aisle and asking questions, being part of those exercises, being part of those calls, right? Being proactive of that as well. And I think if you do that as security teams do that, the better the entire organization is. And I'll, I think the more secure. I'll just add in, you know, the one thing just stemming again with the theme of the, the podcast is the attacker's mindset. You know what the attackers do really well? They work really well together. Like, oh, you want this piece of malware? Sure, here, I have this. Oh, I have an SLA for this. I have like support for this malware. Oh, really? So, you know, <laughs> that mindset, even as defenders, as security professionals, we can always be working better together. And that's what we should strive for. So just going dovetail off that. I love that because it's true. Like on my red team, we all had like our areas. Like, right, like I was like the the fishing and the cloud girl and we had the exploit developer. And then we had like, you know, the, um, we, we just had people who were good at different things and like in the operation, but like, cool, volley that to you. Cool, I'll take over this callback. Cool, I'll do this one because we just figured out that that's your expertise. Like we all work like a freaking NASCAR pit crew together as hackers. And if defenders could do the same thing, you they would actually stand a chance. Awesome. Awesome. No, that's great. Um, we have a bunch of questions in the chat, so keep them coming. We love questions because we'll definitely have time to do some Q&A. Uh, there's one I want to uh, ask. It's for Merrill right now. Um, is high proficiency in blue teaming and red teaming absolute in doing purple team? I know you kind of covered this a little bit already, um, kind of moving that needle forward, but I'll let you, uh, let you take this one. Nope, it is absolutely not. I always say a red team, a purple teamer can come from anywhere at any time. It could be a pen tester who wakes up tomorrow and decides to start taking an interest in uh, the blue team side of things. It could be a blue teamer, sysadmin, uh, developer, again, who's got interest in some adversarial behaviors and capabilities and starts teaching themselves those things and implementing that on like a walking one person orange team could be a developer who knows how to hack APIs and code and does it to his own code and figures out where he messed up and fixes it. Like, that's beautiful. So no, you don't you don't need those absolutely. It takes a good exposure, but I mean, often you're gonna have purple teamers like me uh, or people who are experienced in these exercises to liaise, to help. So I always, uh, in my exercises, I bring, I, I have a vet show up and I say, bring a buddy, bring a noob. So I'll be like, you ran through this with me last time. You know how this goes. We go ahead and do it. And then the next time the newbie is the vet and they bring a newbie. So a lot of people get exposure to seeing that discussion and seeing that education and getting that collaboration out of it but no like it they're absolutely not i would say it takes some 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 familiarity some knowledge of various processes on both sides but i have to go into every org i do it brand new and say what are your processes 
What are your processes? What are your tools? Okay. And then I'm going to figure out how they're all going to work together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great so, insight. Jay, did you want to add anything to that? I know you've got um, obviously some good perspectives as well from, from your side, but um, you know, I guess effective, effective, let's call it team collaboration, right? Does it have to be perfect on one side or is it just getting out there and doing it to Merrill's point? I think just getting out there and doing it, um, whether that's self-learning or again, even just kind of, uh, again, I mean, you know, when, when I work with, I typically see this in large organizations or larger organizations, like you're, you're in a niche, right? So it could be as simple as just, you know, pinging someone or, Hey, you know, I thought about this. How about that? Just, you know, bridging that connection can go a long way um, to taking steps into your own self-knowledge or can it ultimately better everyone? Cause again, now you're smarter and now you can, you know, do things a little bit more efficiently, efficiently and, and, and look at things differently. So I think you just have to do it um, and, and take the initiative, um, take a little bit of ownership um, in, in learning from the opposite side to Merrill's point, whether if, you know, if you're on the red side, how are they doing this? Like every, how are they looking into d- defending or this, 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 this application or this technology? And from the defender side, you know, I used to see a lot of that. Well, my technology works this way. How are the attack? How are the attackers going to try and you know get around that, or or what are we really looking to protect ourselves from? And it it just helps. It just brings that other perspective, and so just have to do it. Take the initiative. Yeah. One time, I ha- we had a, a software engineer ask, "How did you build your payload specifically to like abuse that thing, like to call out on that, like use that process and call out on that? Like, how did you do that? Because I thought I did a pretty good job." And we're like, "Oh, this is how we." And the and then the red team around my team was like, "Hey, dude." If you're interested in this and exploit development and how I programmed it to do that, you want to see me do the next one, hit me up. And like for the next op, you can watch me develop the payloads. And he did. And then he started becoming a little walking like offensive SME for all of the software engineers because he had an interest in learning that capability. And he sat down and he got a collab out of it and he got to cross pollinate responsibilities. And then out of that, we got a new type of security professional. So, and, and learning those types of things, uh, things, right. Can then say, okay, well, I applied it over here. Let me roll this out to the rest of the network or the rest of the organization. Now I've learned, and now you can actually do that. And that can even, you know, that, that could start to start, start you down a path. Well, all right, well, what about, what about this? And all of a sudden, right. You've not, you know, you're, it's a snowball effect to where you're opening new doors, opening new doors to uh, an area where you didn't even know something, you know, a month ago, and now you're taking big strides. So. Yeah, no, that's great. I yeah. mean, you both provide awesome, awesome insights from obviously your, both of your experiences as well. But I think, again, there's a couple of themes I'm kind of thinking that's strong together, but you got to start somewhere. You got to do it, right? And the more and more you do it, the best practice you can learn, right? You learn as you do things and not everything is going to be perfect, as we said, but as you can continue to pri- pr- prove value, right? And provide value to the organizations, the more buy-in you're going to get, especially from that C-level executive approach as well. It's like, why do I need to go fund this project? Or why do I need to go do this? And so I think the more and more you can collaborate, the more we can do that. You're showing success, right? You're showing higher success rates. Oh my God. And have stakeholders sit in on collab calls, have them sit with the people who do the work and figure out what their problems are and how they're solving them. And they'll be like, wow, I had no idea you guys were, you know, combating the, like, I heard these talking about this and I stuck up for you guys because I heard you guys say blah, blah, blah. So I told them and we're like, thank you. Thank you invite the stakeholders to. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think from, this is a great segue with a couple minutes left here. This is a great, this is a great segue because let's talk about the stakeholders for a second and kind of what they're focused on. And I think this kind of goes to our third bullet point here of what we want to talk about today. And this, again, this would probably be a three hour podcast on what we're about to discuss in about five minutes, but let's talk about AI, specifically generative AI. Um, we all know AI is not new, but we've seen 
huge strides in the last three to six months from things like OpenAI's ChatGPT, Google Bard. Uh, I saw today on LinkedIn, there's an article right on the right-hand panel there that Amazon now has included or about to include their AI and all chatting. Um, so instead of going to Google, let's just go into AI, uh, Amazon chat, and it's going to pretty much do what you need it to do. Um, AI, this is a controversial topic because I, I do feel like there's some areas that there's a lot of good. And I think there's some areas where I'm not going to say bad, but we need to be looking at this with a really, really big map. Lacking in vigilance. We'll say lacking in vigilance. So Meryl, I'll, I'll start with you then. AI. Um, I guess the question is, wh where do you see it going? Right. I think we've only scratched the surface with a lot of these things. And where do you see oh. it going? And I think where, where as an industry, specifically in cybersecurity, where can we find it useful? And I think it kind of comes into a little bit of our concept here of, you know, purple teaming and collaborative, like where can we find it useful? But also where do we need, where do we need to take a step back and be like, okay, hold on a second. Like, is this the right use of AI for my organization? Or do I have an, for example, I just saw this a couple of days ago, an employee, uh, it was actually the CFO of an organization uploaded all sensitive financial information and documents to chat GPT. And so uh, let's talk about the privacy. Let's talk about, obviously we don't have the full time to do this in today's call, but I, I wanna get your high level perspective on where are we going? Like, is it, it gonna help us or is it gonna get worse? Humans will human, right? Humans gonna human. Humans are inherently, um, I will say lazy because I'm lazy. So I'm a lazy person. So I seek the most efficient way to do everything with the least amount of effort possible. Uh, so I'm an efficient, lazy person. But humans are going to human. Like if we see an easy avenue to get something done, like ease is always going to take precedent over security. Um, but I mean, it's called open.ai, y'all. And there's a warning saying, please don't put any sensitive freaking data in here because it will be like, if if you work for a proprietary tooling company and you want it to check your, your code and make sure your code's good to go, syntax checker, like sanitization checker, whatever, it's like, great, thank you for all the proprietary source code. Next, now the next guy who's like, I'm trying to code a chat client, how do you do that? It's like, oh, well, I just had this great input from this developer who had lovely code for a chat client. Here you go, here's how I recommend you code that. And now you're sharing proprietary data. So um, I do think we need to take a step back and evaluate what we're putting in there. Um, don't have it balance ledgers for you. Don't have it do things like that. Like redact, 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 right? Like you can give it pieces without giving away PII, but at the end of the day, PII is really our, our business. That's what we do, we protect it. So please be very, very careful. Don't just put anything into chat GPT. It's open to the world. It's open source. You can get it source code. Um, I think uh, as an application, you know, we're gonna see it taking over. I, I wouldn't say certain verticals. I don't think certain jobs will be eliminated, but the bulk of the work they don't enjoy doing, and again, that can be automated, will probably be taken over, which again, frees us up to human and think critically and creatively and, and, and get jazzier and move on to jazzier um, roles and projects if the AI is taking care of a lot of the low hanging and, and straightforward and easy to execute stuff for us. So that, that I think will be great, but there's talks of having it like replace nurse practitioners and like you put in your symptoms, it looks at your history, it evaluates you from a biometric scan, like, you know, can do like a, like a tonsil scan and everything. And it goes, you have strep throat, here's a prescription. And I think that's really dangerous. Like there are certain things that should always be manually validated. There are reasons certain professionals go to school for, dozens of, not dozens, but you know, many, many years to be the professionals that they are. And I just think that while it's great and fun and jazzy, and it's a very straight, it's the, the new microwave, right? Microwave it. Let's just make sure we're not just throwing everything in the microwave and watching it explode. Great points. Great points. Jay, I know a couple I, minutes left. <laughs> yeah, I know. All good. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 
aside from being a, a nervous, anxious person normally, now I'm even more <laughs> nervous and anxious because, I mean, if, I, if I'm a CISO, right, and I have something else to worry about because all you have to do is go into Google and type in chat GPT malware and you can see instances where this is starting to become a thing. And we're all familiar with this, the, you know, the script kitty type of uh, term. But now I can, you know, I can take that to the next level because I could potentially do malicious things and I don't have to be the expert. I can say, oh, you know, I want this type of malware or, or whichever. So the, 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 the speed at which attackers can actually come out, I'm, again, I'm thinking it from the attacker's perspective, is, is, is going to be, it's only getting faster. It's only getting faster. And my gosh, I mean, we were just talking about the blue teams. They already have a hard job. Now they're working with speed and agility on the other side from the attacker's perspective. Um, I think the toothpaste is out of the tube which is unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. I think there's many benefits to AI, but when I look at it, I go, what is this going to mean from, from the attacker perspective, right? Uh, same thing like mm -hmm. when, we, when we talk about like all this technology, oh, IoT, right? It's cool, all this stuff. I could, you know, I could get the weather from my fridge or whatever. Okay, but what does that mean? Now your, your footprint is now increased. But if it's smart, it is vulnerable. <laughs> exactly. So, so now, right, we have, we have attackers that are going to be quickly doing this, uh, you know, more often, um, and, and just think about all the open source intelligence that, that is also out there. Hopefully our internet footprint is small, but as we, can, as we continue to, to grow as a society and as an organization, more of that is going to be out there. And I just think we're gonna see more sophisticated attacks and quicker attacks because of this. So in one way it's good, our jobs aren't gonna go away as security professionals, but they are gonna get harder. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'll put and money on that. Not to mention, I can rely on a lot of the, the tried and true tips and tricks that hackers always do. Like I can just domain spoof chat.open.ai and like spin up my own chat GPT and it's <laughs> full of malware and it's, it's I poison the learning modules and like I've done all kinds of crazy things to it and now you don't know that you're on the fake one and not the real and, one. Like and upload, upload documents. <laughs> yeah, so I can check that for you. Please just upload all the documents here. And I'm like, Thank you. Like, you know, these are not very hard, very easy social engineering techniques that again, AI is just going to make it even easier because people inherently trust the AI and you shouldn't, you should adopt a zero trust mindset. Yeah. Yes. No, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the zero trust because I just saw another article earlier today. Um, I won't name the security vendor, but um, again, it kind of goes back to uh, RSA though. Like, what does it actually mean? But their new tagline is zero trust for AI. And so um, we'll see what that kind of plays out. But I do think be on the lookout for, I think, as we get to more and more security conferences, whether it's RSA next year, Black Hat coming up, where I do think you're going to have a lot of security vendors talking and mentioning about AI. Um, and so, you know, it will be interesting to kind of see uh, where that goes. Um, but, you know, there's a couple of different things I want to say. I, I think, you know, from an AI perspective, I do think, uh, Meryl, you said it, they've made these platforms that anyone can use, right? I, I know I've got parents and relatives that are now going on there and be like, I have eggs, frozen tomatoes, and tortilla wraps in the fridge. Help me make something. Not that they couldn't do that on Google anyway, but now I've got it spit out like in two seconds on their mobile apps. So mm -hmm. I, I think there, there's positives of it. But to your point, I think as an industry, especially in a cybersecurity industry, we need to really take a, a hard look at this and figure out, you know, can my employees use this, especially on uh, company-wide resources and laptops, right, or devices? Um, you know, what happens if information like DLP solutions, what happens if information is taken and uploaded to a lot of these services and sites? And so I think with a lot of that, um, I think we're just scratching the surface, as I mentioned before, I, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see positives, I guess, you know, for the everyday user. Um, but I also think from a security institute, Jay, you mentioned it, right? From a blue teaming, we were just emphasizing and sympathizing with them. Now it's, oh man, now I've got, you know, people crafting potentially, and not that they already weren't doing it, but now 
speeding it out within milliseconds, uh, you know, extended phishing attacks and phishing emails that are mimicking, you know, my, my CEO's wife, for example, and they're getting more creative. So I, I do think as a security industry, um, even from a security vendor standpoint, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from, is we need to also be looking at how do we adapt and how do we roadmap and how do we evolve uh, to protect our organizations? How do we combat AI? Do we bring in AI experts or um, if that's even a thing, right? But do we bring in AI into our platforms to help combat against some of the different threats that we may see? Time will tell. I, we, nobody really knows the answer yet because we've de definitely seen that explosion happen here in the last couple of months. But um, with that being said, I know we got a couple of minutes left. Um, I want to obviously thank both of you guys for joining this uh, awesome podcast. I, I can see all the comments rolling in. Um, I know even uh, it looks like Dimitri. Yep. Hey, guys. Thank you, Dimitri, and everybody else for joining in. Um, it, it's just kind of awesome to see this, uh, this kind of come to fruition, especially with the two of you. Um, so before we wrap up, I definitely want to say, uh, again, thank you for the both of you. This can be uh, viewed on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, all the streaming services. But I'm going to give each of you about 30 seconds to kind of say your last final thoughts, whatever, whatever you may want to say. Uh, Meryl, I will start with you. Uh, yeah, you know, I just want to say that um, when it comes to security, you know, there is no one size fits all answer to everything. But please do make sure that you're maximizing everything you've got. You're, you're enabling it and, and um, giving teams all the capabilities they can possibly have. And uh, if I were to leave everyone with one thing, it's stop limiting scope on your red teams. Please, for the love of God, stop it. Um, that's just my one thing. Um, also, again, if you are interested in checking out um, Teach Kids Tech or the Cyber Queens, you can feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Meryl. And everyone, go follow Meryl and definitely check out uh, her podcast as they are awesome. And I'm a frequent listener as well. Oh, thank you. Okay, I'll give you uh, less, less parting thoughts. Yeah, I guess uh, parting thoughts is uh, I hope everyone is starting to get into this mindset again of, of simultaneous attack and defend. So uh, for those of you that know me, I, I'm a Wing Chun guy. Um, this martial art is specifically about atta attack and defend at the same time. And only can you can you be strong and, and defend yourself properly when you have both of those mindsets. So the more uh, organizations that, that do that, I think will all be better security professionals. And um, if you want to check out uh, Pantera, who I work for, go to pantera.io. We'd love to talk to you about the attacker's mindset as well. Awesome. And definitely for all the listeners and viewers as you're watching us, add these guys on LinkedIn as well. Follow them on Twitter. I know they're, they're you know great thought leaders in this industry. That's why I invited them on this podcast as well. So again, Meryl, Jay, thank you guys so much for attending. And uh, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you. It Absolutely. was. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So for everyone listening, again, thank you for tuning in to Exploring Cybersecurity. Be on the lookout for more episodes as we'll be running these monthly. With that being said, everyone stay safe out there and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everyone.